let's pray, and we're going to jump right into the Word. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that this morning we have an opportunity, God, not just to talk about you, but God, that prayerfully and hopefully, God, we have an opportunity to encounter you this morning. God, I just pray that no matter where anybody is at, no matter how they walked in this building or what they were dealing with or what they were struggling with, God, I pray that you would speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we've been in a series called Life Together, and we've been sharing about what it looks like to have a genuine church family. Um, what does it look like to not just attend the church? What does it look like not to just come and sit in a seat and listen to worship music and, and listen to a message and walk out of those doors? But what does it look like to be actively engaged in church family? And so the first week we talked about the importance of spiritual family. Last week my dad was here and he talked about the importance of just true, genuine friendships and how much those really matter to a spiritual family. And this week I want to talk about one word, and that word is simply authenticity. Um, I believe that the key ingredient to genuine family is authenticity. Um, there's no greater feeling in the world to be genuinely known. It's one of the greatest parts about marriage, and especially if you've seen it over and over. Maybe you ever seen somebody that's been married for about 20, 30 years, and by that point, you just start completing each other's sentences, right? You, somebody says something, and you know what they're going to do, or you get in the car, and you no longer have to ask, hey, where do you want to eat? You just drive, and you know exactly where you need to go. There's nothing more beautiful than being truly known, being completely transparent, being completely real, having no mask, you can just be yourself around these people. It, sometimes it can be tiring and it can be exhausting when you walk into some place and you know that you can't really be yourself. You've got to kind of put on this mask. You've got to kind of make it up a little bit. You can't be real. And this morning, I want to unpack that. What does it really look like to be authentic? What does it look like to be real? Because we live in a culture that is so fake and it is so airbrushed, and we have things um, like social media, for instance. Um, I don't know if you know this or you've realized this yet, but social media, Instagram, Facebook, or any of those things, it's just a highlight reel of people's lives. It's not their real life. Because nobody posts like when they're bored and alone and they're depressed. They post something when it's just a highlight of their day and of that moment. You scroll through these things, and you can kind of get this false idea of what their life is really like. So I think deep down inside, nobody wants to be fake. Nobody wants to be counterfeit. Everybody wants authenticity. Um, when you walk into a church, I think it's one of the things that we gauge all the time. Can I be myself in here? Are they going to be real? Is this going to be a place where I can pull off the mask? I don't have to be somebody else, somebody that I'm not. I feel like I'm at home. Um, let me give you this. A perception in our culture is this. Christians say one thing, but live something entirely different. You ever seen that? They say one thing, they, they quote all the verses, they know all the things that they need to know, but they live entirely different. And this morning, I want to try to give us a new perspective that as Christians, we're transparent about our flaws, we act first, and we talk second. So, here's the thing. Any, any verbal processors in here? Like, you don't really think things through. You just kind of, like, talk before you think. Anybody in here, you just kind of say something. You're like, oh, shoot, why did I just do that? And I think a lot of times what happens in Christianity is a lot of times we know a lot about the Word. We know a lot about Jesus. We know a lot about the Bible. But we don't really act on it that much. 
So is it enough to simply say we're authentic? Is it enough to simply say, hey, I'm a Christian? If there's nothing behind that that is backing that up. Is it, because it's easy to, to just roll that word off of our tongues and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm saved. But if somebody was to look at your life, would there be evidence and a defense behind that where you could say, I've served Jesus, I love Jesus, but here's all the reasons why I can say that. Or are we, do we just get so comfortable, because in the South, I think we get comfortable with that, like, I love Jesus, I go to church, I am a Christian, but there's not too much evidence in our lives to just support what we're actually saying. So, perhaps the greatest threat to the church is this, an image problem. I think one of the greatest threats to the church is an image problem. People trying to be somebody that they're not. How many of you know this? Many people outside of church that are not saved or are not Christians will not step in, into a church because they think the church is judgmental. Anybody? Anybody got people like that? Maybe you've invited them and they say, I can't go into that place because they're going to do this and I'm going to get this stereotype and I don't want to be a part of that. I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but Christians are being labeled as bigoted, homophobic, hypocritical, materialistic, judgmental, self-serving, and overly political. And the list goes on and on and on. And it's one of the many reasons that nobody ever wants to step in church. Especially people that do not know Jesus, because they believe once they step in, there's this persona about Christianity of they're going to judge me. They're going to have this thing that's going to come down and it's going to rain upon me. There was a statistic that came out uh, a few weeks ago, but I don't know if you know this. Young people, um, they call them millennials. So anybody from, I think it's 1984 all the way until now, if you've been born in that time frame, they are leaving the church at a rapid rate. At a rapid rate. Um, people my age, people in their 19s and 20s, um, most of them have maybe stepped in, in, into a church three or four times. Um, they want nothing to do with the church because of this image that the church is portraying to the world of, of saying, hey, we're judgmental. Hey, you're not accepted because you do these particular things. And when in reality, Jesus says, I don't really care what's going on. I receive you just as you are. And so this morning, how can we live a life as Christ followers, live a life in genuine family that no matter what's going on, we can be real with each other. We can be authentic with each other. There's no masks. There's no games. There's nothing that we're trying to put on. There's no fronts. It's just who we are, and that's what you get. How can we do that? So, I believe Christians are somewhat confused about what it means to be real, but um, Jesus is not. And if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to start in verse 15. It says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Remember that word, fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, this is what I want to talk about this morning. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, it is not enough to just label ourselves with that word or with that phrase. Is there fruit that people can look at in your life and say, I know that you're a Christian because of... Because your life is bearing fruit. I want to read a parable to you in Luke chapter 8. And I personally believe, this is just my opinion, so don't, don't take it as for too much. But this is my opinion. I think Luke chapter 8, this is probably one of the most important parables in the entire Bible. And it starts off and it says this. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered... And people from town, after came up to him, he said a parable. He said, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. So this is the parable that he tells, and the disciples ask him, well, Jesus, what does that mean? You ever read something in the Bible, and you're like, that's great, but what does that mean? And so Jesus says, okay, let me give you an explanation. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And this verse is hopefully what we prayerfully want to be. Verse 15. And as for that, the good soil, they are those hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So the parable is pretty straightforward. There's a, a farmer that sows a seed in the field, and the seed represents the good news of the kingdom. It is sown in four different kinds of soil, each representing a different response to the message. Simple enough, right? But here's the punchline. Here's what you've got to understand. There's some seed that's thrown out in one, which is uh, the birds come in and they snatch it up. It never even grows. When I was reading this, to me, the scary part about this parable is that in two of them, uh, the, the, the seed among the rocks and the seed among the thorns, it actually grows. But it doesn't last. So it starts to grow. It starts to bear some fruit. Something starts to happen, and then it just doesn't last. So maybe they, they come into church, they have an experience, they have an encounter with Jesus, and they say, man, I love this. There's things in my heart that I know that I need to change. You walk out these doors, and for a week, you're all excited, and then all of a sudden, something happens, whether it's a job change, or a marriage conflict, or a child, or whatever it is, and whatever you experience doesn't last. So you heard something, but it didn't really take root in your heart. And what happens is the counterfeits get exposed. 
You heard good news, you heard the gospel, you heard about this amazing Jesus that takes your guilt and your shame and, and he removes it and he removes that past and he takes all that away and it does something, but it doesn't stick. The seed sown on the first soil hardly gets started, so Satan comes and he snatches it. But like I said, both in the rocks and in the thorns don't take root. So, I want to explain to you two different things that I think that we somewhat can kind of get mixed up in here. Anybody grow up in church most of your life? Anybody in here? Okay, a lot of you. Anybody, did you, did you guys do like the summer camps thing? You ever went to like summer camp or retreats? And, okay, growing up as a pastor's kid, I went to every summer camp, every retreat, every weekend thing. And there was one thing that I noticed, there was this trend that started taking place at these retreats and these summer camps, is you'd have these kids come, including myself, and God would do something like amazing in your life, and you'd be on fire for God for about three days. And then you would go back into your regular life, go back to school, and that fire just kind of like died down, and then you'd go back the next summer, and it was kind of like stirred up again. It was always like this experience, one thing after another, but there was something that never really stuck. So I think what's going on in this parable is there's the difference between experiences and encounters. So in experiences, you walk in, maybe a church, a camp, a retreat, or maybe you have a conversation with a friend. And in that conversation, something happens in your heart. You know what they're talking about is true. You know that you need that. And you feel something. <laughs> but the problem with feelings is they don't last that long. Because, like... One day we like chocolate ice cream and the next day we don't. One day we like vanilla ice cream and then the next day we don't. If, if you've ever been pregnant in here, which I never have, but um, if you've ever been pregnant in here, you, your cravings, I've gone through four of them with my wife, your cravings would just be totally different. It's a feeling. At one moment, my wife, true story, um, she would crave watermelons. Like just a whole watermelon. Like I, I want to eat a watermelon. And then the next day, it's like a Sonic cheeseburger. And then the next day, it's like a Hershey's candy bar. And so it's constantly changing. So that's the problem with feelings is when we come in here and we feel this heightened sense of emotion, we walk out and then what happens? We get into an argument. We get into a spat. Our job takes a different direction. Our marriage doesn't go so well. And those feelings fade. They don't last. But here's the, the thing about an encounter with Jesus is it might be a process, and it might be slow, but there's something that begins to take root in your heart, and it sticks. So when adversity comes and trials come, it sticks. And the best way that I can describe this, my wife and I were talking about this last night, I was like, what kind of examples could I use to illustrate this point? And I think the best example is in marriage. I think the number one reason, and I could be wrong, I think the number one reason a lot of marriages don't last is because they're feeling-based. You ever wake up? I'll be honest with you, okay? As your pastor, I'll be honest with you. I wake up in the morning at times, and I don't feel like loving my wife. Because of whatever happened the night before, or a conversation that we had, or something that she said, and it's vice versa. The same for her. If my commitment to my wife was based off of my feelings, it wouldn't last. I probably wouldn't have made it two weeks past my honeymoon. You, 
in marriage, you go on your honeymoon, and it's all great, and then you have two weeks, and it's kind of like that honeymoon phase of marriage, and then you wake up one morning, and you're like, what have I done? What have I, who is this person? They, they don't even look like anything like I thought. They, I mean, they're completely different. That's why I tell young people all the time, I, I was counseling a couple of few years ago, and they were uh, sitting in my office, and they're about to get married, and I was like, okay, tell me a little bit about your relationship, you know, tell me about some of the, you know, maybe some of the struggles you have, and they're like, no, like, Pastor Zach, we never argue. We don't have any problems. I'm like going, oh God, this is a huge problem. That means none of you are real with the other, and you're all shoving stuff under the rug. Isn't that right? I mean, my wife and I lived in that bliss for the first, you know, two weeks, maybe two days. I don't know. It's like, we, we just, we love each other. We're so similar. We have everything in common. And then we find out a year in, like, we're two totally opposite people. And we have nothing in common. <laughs> if my marriage was based on my feelings, it wouldn't last. But my marriage is based on a commitment that I made first to Jesus and then to my wife. So when there's days when I wake up and say, I don't feel like loving this woman. I've got to go back to, no, no, hold on. I made a commitment and love genuinely is not a feeling, it's a choice. If you're like me, man, and you're, you don't wake up in the morning thinking, hey, this morning I should bring my wife coffee in bed. And I should throw on some love music. And <laughs> men, I mean women, I don't know if you've gotten the drift yet. Men don't think that way. I see a lot of you nodding your head. Men just genuinely don't think that way. For them to do that, for them to romance you, it has to be a choice. I hate to break the notebook novels. It's a choice. They have to choose today, I'm going to what? I'm going to serve my wife. Today I'm going to love her. Today I'm going to pursue her, even though it doesn't come naturally. So I want you to understand, before I go on, experiences and encounters are two totally different things. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's real. Doesn't mean it's real. I feel something every time I walk into an action movie. I feel like I can, I have every move possible to kick somebody's tail. And I walk out of that movie and it just doesn't happen. My wife gets so mad at me because we, we were watching, we went with a couple in the church and we watched Fury, and, uh, which is just this super awesome, super awesome movie. And there's all these, this action going on. And so I'm getting in our minivan. And I'm like, <laughs> she's like, babe, you don't have to be like, you're, you've never been in the military. You can't fight. You can't drive. But I saw a movie. Right now I feel awesome. Right? That's an experience. In that moment I feel invincible. But I have no clue what I'm doing. So, using this parable, this morning I want to invite you to look in through the lens of Luke 8 and say, what kind of seed am I? What kind of seed am I? So number one, am I a seed along the path? Now let me remind you what I just read. This is those who have heard the word, but the enemy causes you to doubt what you have heard. Maybe you've seen 
You've heard the power of God, you've heard the power of Christ at work, and you see it among others, but you just don't think it applies to you because of your past. So maybe you, you sit in a sermon, or maybe you have a conversation with somebody, or maybe you read the Bible, and, you're, and these words are popping out to you and saying, man, this would just be so incredible if I could apply this to my life. But then the enemy reminds you of who you are, and what you do behind closed doors, and your past history that you have, and instantly, you're filled with doubt going, that can't ever be good. So instantly, the enemy snatches it up. Your past failures scream louder than God's finished work. Can, I heard somebody say this a long time ago, and it stuck with me. Jesus loves you right now, and not some future version of you. Here's what I think we do as human beings. We're trying to say, okay, God, before I can ever come to you, before I can ever believe anything that this book is saying and anything that, that, that they're preaching, or before I can ever believe any of that, I've got to get some stuff right. Because God can't love me right now. It's not the truth. Jesus loves you right now. He pursues you right now. He wants you right now. Not some future version that you try to make better. He wants you right now. Number two, are we a seed along the rocks? So when you hear the word, you receive it with joy. So this is, you hear the word, you haven't experienced. God does something in your heart, but it has no roots. So when trials and, and testings come, you're shaking so bad, instead of running to God, you blame God. So this is something that you know, you're like, God, I know this is what I need. I know this is truth. I know this should apply to my life, but... And maybe you go a week, maybe two weeks, three weeks, a month, a year... Trying to try to be something, trying to try to woke, and then what happens? A, a mom gets sick, a, a loved one dies, and there's no roots. You go, God, what's going on? Are you serious? It doesn't stick, there's no roots. Or maybe your faith is based on how well you perform. You know, I remember I used to have this thought process all the time, is uh, dealing with a, a particular thing in my life. And I remember I used to have this, almost like this checklist, like, man, it's been one day. It's been two days that I haven't done that. It's been three days that I haven't done that. It's been a week. It's been two weeks. It's been three weeks. And I would base my relationship with Jesus off of how much I haven't sinned. And so maybe I get a month in, two months and then, boom, failure. And then I'd have to, okay, now I've got to go all the way back. And now I'll count my, my days. Anybody ever do that? You count your days. Like, okay, it's been one day. It's been two days. It's been three days. It's been four days since I haven't done that. The love of Christ is not based on how well you perform. That is the beauty of grace. That when Jesus sent his one and only son, he sent him for how you are, right now. Now 
Now, I'll be honest. Many of us are that seed that's thrown along the rocks and we receive the good news with joy. But the reason that we don't get rooted is because we have genuine hurts when we get real and when we get authentic or when we have to trust people. So many of you, maybe we've been going through this series, Life Together, and you're saying, look, I hear it. I feel like you're talking too much about family. I get it. Okay, I got it. But I don't, I don't think we do because my wife and I, we have a, um, a lady in our Jennings campus who we dearly love. And uh, she's been there for since the beginning. Well, we started our church in a hotel room in, in, at Holiday Inn in Jennings. And she's been there since day one almost. Fifteen years in. Committed to the church, but has no deep relationships with anybody. She, nobody knows her. She's never let anybody in to take care of her, to, to help her heart, and to, to, to walk with her through life. And so when there's a, a hardship and a trial, she, she's not rooted. She doesn't have somebody that she can pick up the phone and, and, and call because she's scared. She's got some legitimate fear. She's got some legitimate worries. She's got some things that maybe somebody broke her trust. It's hard for her to put faith in people. And I understand Many of us in here have been hurt. Many of, us, uh, many of us in here have been hurt by church. Many of us have this whole idea that, uh, I had a guy tell me a few weeks ago, he said, you know, the reason I don't go to church is because um, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. I said, awesome, dude, come, you'll fit right in. <laughs> we're, we're, we all fall short. We've all got mistakes. We're all going to hurt people. Church isn't perfect, but the beauty of it is Jesus is. We're not trying to point people to, to church. Like church doesn't save you. Jesus does. We're going to hurt you. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things wrong for people. So don't let it be that you don't get rooted here. If you don't go down deep and you don't have deep relationships because you've been hurt by the church. Jesus has never hurt you. He never has. Being authentic and being real with a family exposes our true colors, but it's only when our true colors are exposed that Christ can begin to deal with our wounds. It's hard to get rooted. It's hard to go down deep if people don't know. And I understand, for some of us, trust has to be gained. And for some of us, we've been hurt. Maybe we were dealt a bad hand in life. But there is no greater thing on the face of the earth, even if you're willing to deal with a little bit of hurt, a little bit of pain, to get to the process that God wants you to be at. Where he places you into a family that loves you, that takes care of you, and that you can be yourself. There's no masks. Like, you go down deep. You can have deep conversations. You can talk about what's really going on in your heart and your conversation no longer has to be like, hey, what you been up to? Oh, nothing, just work, busy. We can have real conversations of like, man, I'm just struggling. I love my husband, but I don't know how to love him well. I love my wife. What's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm confused about this. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? We can have those kind of conversations. Number three, are we a seed 
among the thorns. So yet again, this is, you have heard the word, but the riches and pleasures of this life choke the fruit that you could be producing. So what does that mean? You're willing to sacrifice your relationship with Jesus, family, and kids, all for the sake of being successful in the world's eyes. We end up striving for momentary happiness instead of lasting joy. You know, there's a big difference between happiness and there's a big difference between joy. Happiness is that momentary, like what makes you feel happy in that moment? A pleasure. I think uh, King Solomon says it best in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we'll read a little bit. It's not on your screens. I kind of added this this morning. Um, I'm going to pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 9. Let me give you a little background about what's going on. But um, Solomon was the wealthiest, wisest man to ever live. He had pretty much anything you could ever want. If he didn't have it, he made sure he got it. So we pick it up in verse 9. And this is Solomon talking about himself. He says, So I became great. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure from my heart. I found pleasure in all my toil, and this my reward, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered, I want you to get this, then I considered all that my hands had done, all the toil I had extended in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity. And striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So let me give you a little picture of what Solomon had. Solomon had women, lots of them. I would I've never, I have one wife, that's enough. Solomon had women, that's a lot, he had a lot. He had riches, he had kingdoms, every pleasure this life could offer, but at the end he declared it was all meaningless. So some of us, the reason that we're not producing fruit, the reason that we're not authentic, the reason that we can't get real with each other is because there's so much going on that we're striving for that doesn't matter. And I want you to hear me wrong. As men, and as, as, especially as men, God's called us to work hard. God's given us, each and, each and every one of us, different gifts to grow big businesses. And I'm saying, if you have that gift, do that. But don't get lost in it. Don't get lost in because you're not defined by what you do and what your job is. You're not defined by the car that you drive or the house that you live in or the neighborhood you live in. Or the clothes that you wear. Some of us aren't producing fruit because we're focused on things that don't matter. Our time and our energy and all our efforts are going towards things that are going to one day not last. That are one day going to fade. Instead of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we seek fame, money, power, and the opportunity to be known. Here's my goal in life. Two things. If I'm not careful, my goal can be to be known by men. Be known by men about what I built, what I accomplished, and what I achieved. 
And God's given me gifts to, to do different things and to build different things. But if I find my identity there, it's going to fade. My prayer for myself, my prayer for you, is that your goal would be not to be known just by men, but your greatest goal would be to be known by Jesus. So number four, the one that I pray that we can all be. Number four, are we a seed among good soil? This is those who hear the word and hold fast to it in times of trouble, and we bear fruit with patience. The key word here is patience. Is patience. Sometimes bearing fruit is a slow, steady process. So here's what I want you um, to get here. Maybe I'm, I'm going through all these things, and you're like, man, am, am I a seed among the thorns? Am I a seed among the, the rocks? Am I a seed that's being snatched up? Maybe you're pursuing Jesus and you're doing everything that you can to be authentic, to be real. You're exposing your heart. You're getting around a biblical community. You're, you're going to church on a regular basis and you're, you're, you're doing everything that you can. And you're saying, man, these habits, some of these desires that I have, they're not passing as quickly as I'd like them to. I'm not bearing as much fruit as I would like to. Like I said, the key word here is patience. Authenticity is often proven through a slow, steady process. So it looks like this. You come in, you encounter Jesus. God does something radically in your heart. Your life is turned upside down. And for the rest of your life, those desires begin to fade and you slowly begin to bear fruit. So let me give you an example to um, well, back up a little bit. So we read this parable, and we might think, like, Jesus, why, why, why do you give us all these examples? The distinction between authentic and counterfeit. And we see the counterfeits are the, the seed that is thrown among the rock and the seed that is thrown among the thorns. They, they, they started to bear fruit and then it was crushed. Why does he do this? Jesus doesn't see possessing faith or professing faith with possessing faith. Meaning this. Just because you claim something doesn't mean it's true. Just because you claim something doesn't mean it's true. A lot of us are good at that. But men especially, it's usually like when you introduce yourself, you're like, hey, and what's the next question after the name? What do you do? And my name's Zach. Hey, what do you do? Oh, you know, I work in the oil field, and they, yeah, they got me like, uh, you know, I'll build the whole rig myself. Are you, really? You do the whole thing yourself? Yeah, man, like, I just get on a little boat, and I, I build the whole thing. I'm the only one in the world. Really? I mean, many of us can make claims, but just because we make a claim doesn't mean it's true. Do we have the evidence to support the claim? It's like that old adage, that fishing story, you know? 
hey, what, you want fishing today? Yeah, man, we caught some fish. It was like this big. <laughs> Let me see the picture. Wow, dude, that looks like that big. <laughs> no, no, it was, dude, it was this big, I'm telling you. Do you have the evidence, or the fruit, should I say, do you have the fruit to back up the claims that you're making? So let me give you an example. Let's say this morning, the countdown starts, we play the video, and Madeline starts, they start singing, they start worshiping, and that video, the next video comes on, and the lights come up, and it's time for me to preach, and all of a sudden the lights come up, and there's nobody here. Like, I'm not here. And people in the booth are like, okay, where's Pastor Zag? They're scratching their head. Somebody's going, man, this is kind of awkward. Five minutes go by, nobody here. Maybe some people kind of start leaving, like, man, what's going on? This is weird. Ten minutes. Finally, ten minutes, you hear those doors kind of open up. You see me running down the aisles. I'm like, all right, guys, sorry. Sorry, I finally made it here. I was on my way. I was driving, and I got a flat tire. So I was running a little late, and I got out, I needed to get my spare, and as I step out on the road to change my flat tire, boom, I get hit by an 18 wheeler. And I get back up, and after I get back up, I put my tire on, and I made it. If I told that story to you this morning, you would know what? I am lying. Right? Because... I think I'm pretty safe to say if I was hit by an 18-wheeler, I would look a little bit different than I do right now. Right? Some bones broken, some bruises, some blood. I mean, I would not be here. So why do I say that? I feel like I'm pretty safe around assuming that once a person comes face-to-face -face with the God of the universe, that person is going to look a whole lot different than they did before. If you make a claim, do we have the fruit to back it up? Being will is more than regularly attending church, moral goodness, or accepting Jesus as your Savior. It goes beyond being baptized, receiving communion, or joining church membership. And all these things are important. But real Christians are new creations. Real Christians are new creations. The desires that they once had to please the world begin to slowly fade away. Maybe physically they don't look different. And can I, this, we joke about it all the time, but I mean, look, just because you get saved doesn't mean that all of a sudden, like, and we live in the Bible Belt here, doesn't mean all of a sudden, like, you've got to walk around in a suit. You know, and you got to watch TBN. you got to listen to Christian music, all that. that. That doesn't... I know that's sometimes the adage or the persona that, that, that we have about Christianity. The most important thing is, is are your desires changing? Do you have a desire to want to see the things of God fulfilled? Do you have a desire to want to see your friends and your co-workers come to know Jesus? Real Christians are radically changed. They've experienced new birth. They've received a new heart and new desires. So, authenticity is the key to life together. Family functions the best when we are real with each other. 
Family functions the best when we're authentic, when we're real, when there's no mask, there's no games, there's no lies, there's no personas that we're trying to put on, but we can allow people to love us exactly where we're at and it's exactly what we need. So, my challenge to you this morning is this. Can we take a risk? Can we take a chance to see God do something radical in our lives as believers to live life together, to begin to pursue relationships with one another in Jesus? And in that, maybe we take a risk to go, here's my real heart. Here's who I really am. Here's what really goes on behind closed doors. You know what character is? It's not what people see. Character is what nobody sees. Character is what you do when nobody's around. That's character. And you know what? I'll just be real honest with you. And I'll close with this. When I was a teenager, uh, God really started speaking to me at a very young age. And... Uh, just started convicting me about a lot of things that I quite honestly didn't want to change. And, uh, you know, when you're a teenager, um, you're prone to things that adults would be like, what in the world are you thinking? And that was me, okay? And I remember being, there were certain things in my life that I knew that needed to change that I literally made a decision one day to go to my dad and said, Dad, here's what I've been doing behind closed doors. I've given you this perception of who I really am, but I just want you to know it's not true. Here's who I really am. And this is what I really do. And that took years for me to get to that place. To expose what's really going on in my heart. But I'm telling you, if you're at a place right now where you say, man, I'm stuck. I'm just stuck in my relationship with Jesus. I feel like I've been in the same place for 15 years. I feel like I'm not going anywhere. I challenge you. Remove the mask. Get to know people here in this room. I've said it a few weeks over and over. Invite somebody to lunch. It's so important that we're real with each other. That we're authentic. Because in that, Jesus can really do what he came to do. Jesus didn't come to make us outwardly look better. He always came to expose the motivations in our hearts. Always. He was always after the heart. Always. So here's my prayer for you guys this morning. That you would not leave here the way that you came to not leave here the way that you came in. Maybe you've plateaued. Maybe you've put on a mask. Maybe you've dealt with some things. And as I was preparing this message, God's convicting me. Okay? I'm not preaching this like I have it all together. I don't. I was preparing it and even changing some stuff earlier this morning and thought, can I identify with the, am I one of the seeds and the thorns? Are there things in my life that I'm allowing to choke the fruit that I couldn't bear? 
Here's the simplicity of the gospel. The conviction that the Holy Spirit is bringing to you right now, make a decision to say, God, forgive me, I'm moving past that, and I'm walking out of here differently. Make a choice. And if you need to, grab a pastor, grab a leader, ask them to pray with you. Get connected with people here in this room. We're going to be talking a lot more about life groups starting at the beginning of the year. I would encourage you to get involved in one of those. Starting in December, if you missed our um, first step class that took place in October, starting in December, we're going to be doing another one. Uh, first Sunday of December, we'll be starting that. So if you'd like to be a part of that and get to know some people in here, please do that. Um, if you go to our website, occonnect.com, and you need to, you want to call somebody or I mean, you need somebody to pray with you, or you'd like to talk to me personally, uh, our phone numbers are all on there. If you go out, out of these doors at our uh, connections table, maybe if you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or you just have some questions, I would encourage you to fill out a connect card to be able to do that. Um, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that this morning that we have the opportunity, God, to evaluate our hearts. God, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, but God, that you would give us the boldness to truly make the decision that we need to make, God. God, you've called us to be real. You've called us to be authentic, God. No masks, no gains. In Jesus' name, amen.